So you ever wonder what kind of people get into MIT? Or what they do after they graduate? Welcome to this week's episode of Unlimited, also known as Bila Hudud. We're brought to you by the MIT Arab Alumni Association. Here we talk about the different paths Arab students took to get to MIT while they were students and after graduation. What we hope to uncover is that these paths, quite like the people who took them, are unlimited. I'm your host, Dana Dabusi, class of 2020, and thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Unlimited. Today's guest is an MIT alum, a biochemical engineer, a researcher, a leader. She is incredibly passionate about sustainable development and all in all, an incredibly accomplished Arab woman. And I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing her today. You may be wondering why you have a new host. This is a different voice than the one you're used to, um, because our guest is none other than your unlimited host and the director of conferences and digital engagement for the MIT Arab Alum Association, Dana Dabusi, a Bachelor of Science in Biochemical Engineering and Class of 2020. Dana, welcome. How does it feel to be on the other side of the microphone? <laughs> I was just going to say it feels very different, but thank you for that great introduction, audience. Absolutely. We're so happy to have you. I'm very, very happy to be the one interviewing you. I have big shoes to fill. I've listened to all the episodes and they were all amazing. Um, thank so you. This is still part of our Meet the Board series. So um, I'm hoping we can start with the MIT Arab Alum Association. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about your role and what drove you to join the exec board? Sure. Thanks, uh, Arin. So to start, I have been a member of the MIT Arab Alumni Association since before I was an alumni, actually. Uh, I joined uh, during my final year at MIT when I was talking to the president and, you know, we were discussing how there needs to be more of a connection between the Arab Students Association at MIT and the Alumni uh, Association since we had been working with them quite a bit. As we'll probably get into, I had launched a conference. We had a lot of engagement and collaboration with the Alumni Association, uh, but we didn't have any kind of voice within the board of directors itself. We didn't have that connection fully established at the time. And so I joined while still a student, and it was an incredible experience. As you'll probably hear from uh, the members, it's quite a flat organization. So even if you join as a volunteer, uh, you get to contribute, you get to propose new ideas, you get to host a podcast. And once you have that experience, you can also consider running for one of the director positions. And that's what I did. Uh, so after that one year, I decided after I graduated that I wanted to actually run. And so I ran for director of conferences, thinking, you know, with my experience with SciTech and other kinds of conferences, I could probably have some experience there that would be relevant and, and helpful. But, you know, given the COVID pandemic and the fact that it's been almost a year now uh, since things have shut down, it seemed unlikely that conferences would be happening in person. Also, we were experiencing during this time that a lot of conferences were being offered online, but who really has four days to commit to one conference? 
And so something we did even before I became director of conferences is we decided to launch webinar series. Uh, and we basically just really upped our digital engagement and digital content to kind of adapt to the situation of the COVID pandemic. And so I also suggested after uh, getting my new role, adapting it to include digital engagement as part of the title. And as part of the title, I also thought about different ideas of things I wanted to initiate with the board, including Unlimited. So <laughs> this is one of the first things that I did when I joined the board. And then the second thing is probably calling Arin and calling Omar um, to join us uh, and uh, getting them on board and getting you on board <laughs> to help us make this a reality. So thank you so much for all your help so far. I think I wouldn't have been able to publish any of the past episodes without you and Omar and Ma'moon. So honestly, I I'm so grateful to be where I am right now. I mean, we're the ones grateful for this fantastic idea. I still remember when you called me, I was walking. Um, I left work to walk around the park to have the conversation with you about what the podcast could look like and who can we host. Um, and it was the the perfect entry. I've always wanted to also be involved with the Arab Alum Association. And um, just the podcast felt like the right opportunity. So thanks to you. And um, I was going to say that given that I prepared for this, and I know you from our work on the podcast and from... Just the recent meetings, I'm not at all surprised that you joined the alum association before <laughs> being one. Um, and I think our listeners will will gather that by the end of this episode. Um, I think you're such a doer and very involved. So, um, of course, you were there the year before you graduated. That's awesome. Um, and you actually touched on two things that I wanted to talk about, SciTech and COVID. So you are jumping the gun here as a good host would or co-host. Um, <laughs> I feel like you're hosting your own episode at the same time. I love it. You're making my job easier, Dana. Thank you. Um, I'm curious how, so you touched a little bit on how COVID has already changed um, the work that the association is doing, especially as it pertains to your role in conferences. And, and you mentioned starting the digital engagement part of it. What is something that you are looking forward or how are you preparing for 2021? And what can our listeners look forward to in terms of, I guess, virtual events, since it doesn't look like we'll be in any in-person conferences anytime soon, unfortunately. Sure. As of now, we are currently preparing a mobility webinar. Uh, Hazem, as you know, was on the podcast a few uh, months ago, and he has a lot to say on the topic. And he knows a lot of people who have a lot to say on the topic. And so he's actually going to be on a panel uh, with a bunch of people to be talking about this. And so similar to that uh, kind of framework, we, we have quite a few webinars lined up. Uh, as for the podcast series, I might have mentioned this last episode or the episode before in the intro, um, but we have our Pi series. So Pi, as we all know, is 3.141526. Okay, anyway. Please allow <laughs> us to channel our Thank you, everybody. <laughs> there, it, it escaped me a little bit. Um, but for March 14th, Pi Day, that's when the uh, results for MIT's admissions come out. And so to honor that day, to honor the month that follows that day, we are going to do a series specifically dedicated to admitted MIT students, to people who want to become MIT admitted students, to really give you an inside glimpse of what it's like to be a student at MIT 
more recently and also during and through the COVID pandemic. Hopefully upcoming years won't have to experience that, but it'll be interesting to see who you're going to be meeting if you do end up coming to MIT and hearing their stories and what they've been through. Uh, as well as hearing from some pretty, pretty hardworking students. I, I won't give it away, but we have some people who might have been involved in a NASA launch, uh, and uh, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Keeping them wanting more. I absolutely love it. There's a lot to look forward to. The webinar, the Pi series. So, um, And you mentioned that you are always looking for more topics and more people to be involved. So I think this is a great opportunity to tell listeners to reach out to us on email, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is you use um, to let us know if you'd like to be featured on one of these or if you have any ideas about topics or guests that you'd like to hear from. We'd love to hear from you. And um, that's you being a great co-host. Thank you. I'm <laughs> trying my best. <laughs> um, you mentioned Pi Day. So let's travel back in time, a little bit pre-Dana Debussy at MIT. Was MIT always the university you wanted to go to, or was it just an opportunity that presented itself, you know, the right place, the right time? It was an opportunity that I never saw coming. Uh, I always wanted it. I knew my dad actually uh, got his PhD at MIT, and I was born the year he graduated from MIT. So I, my parents really remember it quite fondly and have thought of it as their home when you know, they first got married, it's where they lived. And uh, it, it was kind of a dream of mine to live there. I just never thought I would be able to get into MIT myself. Uh, and so I was shocked and honored and excited and happy <laughs> when I did get in. Um, and really, there's a lot that went into um, my college application process. So, uh, there's a lot of obstacles and challenges I kind of had to overcome during high school. Uh, and so I have a lot, I don't know, I have a lot of different, um, I didn't really have expectations, but I was overwhelmed and so, so happy to have been admitted into MIT. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big accomplishment, you know, for for somebody at that age to choose um their path. I always think it's so hard when you're 18 to know what you want and where you want to go. And this is going to determine a lot of your career. And then committing to an institution like MIT that is so wonderful, but also you mentioned having to overcome challenges and obstacles in high school to get that dream school. Um, we all sign, I guess, that acceptance letter knowing that we are signing ourselves up for even more challenges and more obstacles. Exactly. Um, but I think that's what fuels us, or at least that's what fueled me as an undergrad. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of people relate to that as well. Um, what would you say were some of the challenges and obstacles that you had to overcome? Uh, you, you briefly mentioned that. Can you share those with us? Sure. Um, well, so I grew up in Saudi Arabia, but my family is originally Syrian. I spent almost uh, a third of my life in Syria, um, though not continuously. Uh, and so, you know, while I was in high school, uh, the Syrian civil war had started. And with all of that, my family was also moving around due to different reasons. Uh, there was just a lot going on. I ended up going to four different high schools and moving to eight different houses all during high school. 
um, changing uh, school systems. I was originally in the British system. I ended up graduating from the IB system. Uh, I mean, none of this was hindering my education. In fact, I think it helped me focus on my education, uh, kind of to get away from everything else that was going on. Um, but it, it was all worth it in the end if, if it got me to, you know, my dream school and eventually I, I, I could say my dream job. So I, it's, it's been quite a roller coaster, but it's been all worthwhile. That's amazing. I think one word I forgot in your introduction then is resilience or resilient. <laughs> um, that's quite impressive. It's really difficult to, to go through all these changes. But as you alluded, I think in, in some ways it ends up being um, the, the tool or the key or, or I guess just the, the fire under us that gets us to where we need to go in a way. Um, yeah. That's amazing. I think um, so I know that you received a scholarship from Saudi Aramco to pursue MIT. And I think a lot of applicants um, worldwide, but even in the Arab world more specifically, might not realize that you can get scholarships from outside um, the institutions that you're attending. So from outside MIT to fund your education, to, to go to that dream school, to get your dream job. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that experience, how you, like the process to get the scholarship or maybe any other avenues that um, local Current uh, undergrad or current high school students in Saudi and in the Middle East in general um, could keep an eye out for. So what I knew before applying to MIT specifically was that Saudi Arabia has a lot of different options for scholarships. Uh, I think a lot of Gulf countries kind of uh, have something similar, but I, I know more about Saudi Arabia than the rest. Uh, uh, for Saudi, there is the uh, Kingdom Scholarship which is a free ticket to school that is funded by the government. That's the baseline scholarship. Uh, two other scholarships, like you mentioned, there's the Saudi Aramco scholarship, which is the one I ended up taking. But there's also the KAUST scholarship, which is for, uh, it's called the KAUST Gifted Students Program, which I think uh, bridges actually from the Gifted Students Program, Mohiba, which exists for high school students. And I think it actually starts from middle school. The opportunities keep growing and increasing. So hopefully there, there will be a lot of different avenues for incoming students now to find uh, funding for their education. That's amazing. I think the moral of the story is there are so many opportunities. So make sure that you are researching them and looking them up. Um, I always get just really sad if I see people not pursuing an opportunity because of finances, where that becomes the blocker before even trying to to overcome that obstacle. I think that's always a, a difficult topic to discuss, a difficult thing to face. But I think um, Dana's experience is a great uh, is a great example of of opportunities and resources that exist all around us. We just have to to do some digging and some research. So um, that's fantastic. I feel like we're on a little bit of a time machine and I apologize because I'll be taking you on a journey back and forth, uh, past and present. But you mentioned that part of the Aramco scholarship is you get the opportunity to work for Saudi Aramco when you graduate. And so I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about your current role on the sustainability team, I believe, in Saudi Aramco. Um, I, and you're based in Saudi as well. So I know they have offices all around. So I'd love to hear about kind of where you are, what you're doing with the team, uh, what you're working on, um, and all that good stuff. 
Sure. Yeah, I'm back home with my family. Uh, I was raised in a Saudi Aramco home and, and both my parents actually are employees in the company as well. Um, uh, it's been incredible, honestly. I, you know, when I went to college, I, I studied uh, chemical engineering, but I didn't only study chemical engineering. I did some other things. I uh, did some leadership courses. I uh, took negotiation courses. Uh, I even did an environmental policy course. And uh, that course actually is what struck me the most. I think during my time at MIT, um, the impacts of, of different uh, uh, industries and different uh, chemicals and different, you know, there's just so much that can go wrong <laughs> in uh, all kinds of industry. Uh, and so that's something that quite concerned me uh, coming back with a chemical engineering degree and going into the oil and gas industry. Um, and, and so I started thinking about, you know, how is my impact going to be positive? Uh, how can I uh, do something that I think is, is beneficial given the knowledge I have attained while at MIT? Where am I most uh, beneficial in, in my role? And so that meant I, I actually started off in RNDC, so the Research and Development Center, when I first started uh, last year uh, in the carbon management team. So looking at all the different kinds of uh, options for carbon management from, you know, carbon capture and, and a lot of other things I don't know if I can talk about. Um, and, and then beyond that, I, I thought back to that course again, the environmental policy course. And, you know, I have always been drawn to policy and strategy and, and thinking about things from a systems perspective more than just a technical perspective. And so I ended up taking an assignment with this new team that formed within Aramco for called Sustainability. Uh, and uh, decided that I would try to make my mark there. I don't know how <laughs> into detail I can get on what I've been doing with that team, but I can say I'm very happy in the work that I've been doing, uh, and I feel like I am making that impact that I wanted to make <laughs> when I first joined the team, and um, I, I, see, I feel a lot of hope for what I hope to be able to achieve, what my team will be able to achieve, the direction my company is headed in uh, going forward. So I, I did say it earlier on, it's kind of my dream job and I, I am really enjoying what I've been doing up until now. That is wonderful. It is very lucky to, to find your dream job so so soon after, <laughs> after school. I will say I, I can't say the same for myself, but still searching. Um, so I'm curious, would you say you're passionate about sustainability because you studied chemical engineering or you, you studied chemical engineering because you are passionate about sustainability? That's an interesting question. Um, and I don't think it's one I considered when I first studied. I It might have been an unconscious thing. Like you said, I, I did care about sustainability issues. Um, but I actually, when I came to MIT and was studying chemical engineering, uh, I did a year off. I did undergraduate research. I did take courses and things that interested in me, interested me. None of them were in the oil and gas sector. They were almost all in biomedical applications. 
I, I ended up with a minor in biology. I worked in the Sykes lab on some cancer diagnostics uh, tools. And that is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I do care about impact. And that's where I thought I could have a lot of impact. And as we can see with the COVID pandemic, you know, health is first and foremost. Um, but in terms of uh, the impact I can make in the Arab world, I felt that without maybe a medical degree or, you know, a PhD in biotechnology or biochemical engineering, I wouldn't be able to achieve as much uh, in that field than I could um, by looking at the energy sector. And, you know, I, I love a good challenge. <laughs> um, you know, I, I did gravitate towards cancer when I was uh, studying. But if, if that's not the challenge that I can work to solve while living in the Arab world, then maybe our energy mix and, and, and climate change is something I can address uh, instead. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of liking difficult challenges and jumping on the next, um, I guess it was cancer while you, while you were at MIT and doing your biomedical research, but now it's sustainability and you mentioned climate um, challenges. Can you tell us how you ended up at New York Climate Week, where you were able to, you know, sit on the same conference table with a bunch of CEOs from 10 major energy companies as somebody who had just graduated um, and share your opinions, your thoughts, your concerns? That's a huge accomplishment. Um, and I would love to hear more about how you ended up there. Thanks, Harin. I think um, it's more a reflection of, of the energy companies and, and the, in, the climate initiative. So it was part of the OGCI, the Oil and Gas Climate Initiative, that they were willing to speak to or to put a bunch of students in front of CEOs. Um, then, then maybe it was on me. Um, That's far too humble. <laughs> far too humble. But, but it was an incredible experience, I have to say, um, to be able to you know, hear from them what they're doing, but also actually have the opportunity to voice the youth's concerns along with a number of other students. I, I know there were a handful of students from the Columbia's uh, Masters of Public Policy program uh, and uh, several others from different parts of the world as well. Um, but it, it was great. We had some uh, student dialogues where all the students sat with one CEO and each of us asked very pressing questions. And then there was the session with all the CEOs and a bunch of students and a bunch of people from NGOs, the press, and, and there were some hard-hitting questions in that session. Being able to witness that all was really incredible and participate and ask some questions. I think it helped me when I got to my current job not be afraid to ask higher-ups tough questions um, in, you know, polite and respectable ways. But I, I think it, it showed me that there is a receptiveness to hearing tough questions. There is openness to speaking with the youth. There is uh, potential for change, uh, frankly. So, so I think that made me a lot more hopeful in, in joining uh, the company when I, when I graduated, uh, that there could be some change when, when I joined and, and that uh, I could be someone involved in making that change. 
Yeah, I absolutely love that attitude and optimism. I think sometimes we get so caught up in the day-to-day that we forget that as individuals, as young individuals, really, and, and just newly in the professional world, um, our voices matter and, and our experiences, um, even though less in the number of years than some of those, as you mentioned, higher-ups in, in certain companies or just more experienced professionals, um, the, the less number of years does not necessarily mean that our uh, point of view is not impactful or cannot be impactful. So I definitely love that optimism there. And just because you were extra humble, I'm going to put you on the spot again. In that same year, you also participated in the World Future Energy Summit in Abu Dhabi. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell us about that experience and um, why you were invited? I'm going to make you say it because you were way too humble. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, uh, actually, my advisor at at MIT, uh, who was a member of the MIT or the director of the MIT Energy Initiative, uh, you know, was uh, aware that there was this uh, energy future leaders program happening in the Middle East and thought, you know, Dana, you should, I'm going to nominate you. So uh, he nominated me and I applied and I basically was selected as a young future energy leader. Uh, um, so that was an incredible experience. Uh, I got to go to Abu Dhabi. Uh, visit the Maslar Institute, attend the Abu Dhabi Sustainability Week and the World Energy. I forgot what the acronym is. I'm I'm glad you had it on hand. (laughs) But it it was an incredible experience to see so much happening uh, on sustainability. And, And like my bio probably says, I do think that there is so much potential in the Arab world to um, grow, to innovate, and to solve tough challenges. I think we're at the center of one of the toughest challenges the world is seeing, uh, and that there are just so many talented and uh, hardworking people in the region uh, who want to see change, who want to, you know, are restless and want to be able to contribute to that change. Uh, And so being able to attend this uh, summit, uh, to attend... um, as a young future energy leader, uh, international technically, but actually just flew right across from Saudi Arabia to Abu Dhabi. <laughs> um, it, it was a really amazing opportunity. And we, we had some, you know, we had some programming to pitch some ideas for sustainability and at the conference. And it was, it was, it was fun. <laughs> you really had made me come out of my uh, comfort zone in, in talking about this, but uh... See, now I'll take pride <laughs> of being a good host. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's amazing. That sounds like such a, a remarkable conference and opportunity. And I am personally thankful to your advisor for doing that because I, <laughs> I cannot imagine um, anyone else representing the air world and the kind of, Uh, what is it, the young future energy leader. Um, (laughs) That is wonderful. And I think uh, you mentioned how strongly you believe that there is space for change and there's so much room in the Arab world for growth and development. Um, And I think that ties back to something you mentioned briefly at the beginning and I was meaning to to chat with you about, which is um, one of your major accomplishments as an undergrad. And I personally remember this very well because I was also in school at the time and I attended um, the MIT Arab Ooh. Science and Technology Conference, SciTech, which you completely recreated, I think. So it was um, 
a new effort uh, by the Arab Student Organization, uh, which you were the president of for a couple of years. And during your term, um, that's when, you know, the, the new and improved SciTech was born. Uh, so I would love to know what inspired you to take this large initi initiative. I have a feeling it has to do with your belief that change in the Arab world is possible, but I'd love to hear a little more. You hit the nail right on the head, um, <laughs> but you'll be surprised how I came about, you know, realizing that. And I think the real reason I thought that we were capable of putting on a conference on this. Sure, I knew that there were great people back in the region and, and they have a lot going on, but I didn't think we could actually uh, put that on a global stage, on MIT stage, uh, and actually talk about that until I met Arab students at MIT. I met the team that was working with me to develop the conference till I met people like you, Arin. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that's really what uh, pushed me to want to show that uh, just being surrounded by so many incredible, hardworking Arab students, scientists, technologists, innovators at MIT, realizing that there are some of those people within the U.S. in the Arab region and thinking, why can't we bring all of these people together and get them talking to each other and, and inspire people who didn't think they existed or inspire people who don't think that they can actually achieve their dreams? I think uh, our second year, uh, we had a tagline which said, inspire, ideate, impact. And, and I, I truly believe in that. <laughs> exactly. I truly believe that what SciTech was meant to do was to inspire people to help them in our second year we had the ideathon which was a brilliant idea by one of our team members as well and then to actually potentially have an impact on the region and it has currently uh, been through three years uh, i think the planning team is now together for the planning the fourth year for 2021 uh, and I'm just so happy uh, that it's made it this far. Just as a note, I think my main uh, measure of success for SciTech was for it to continue to be sustainable. The fact that there was one uh, after I graduated makes me very happy. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, clearly the theme of sustainability does not <laughs> only apply to climate change and energy, but in everything that you do, which is... Um, to be honest, key on, on making that change that we believe in and that we want to see in the Arab world truly resonate um, because there's power in numbers and the more people from our generation and future generations that we can empower with the same tools and education that we had and even more than we had, um, I think the more that we can, we can make and see that impact that we hope for. So I, as an MIT alum and as an Arab, I'm so thankful for initiatives like this and for conferences like SciTech um, it's it's incredible. And to our listeners, I think it usually happens in the fall. So keep an eye out for SciTech <laughs> dates. I don't think 2021 is set yet, but I think it's usually uh, towards the fall. So check it out. Um, I, I've learned a lot. I still have some notes from the first SciTech conference that I attended. I just remember, remember being very fascinated by some of the work a lot of Arabs are doing in the region as someone who's still in the U.S. and Working here, sometimes I lose sight of all the amazing accomplishments and work opportunities in the Middle East. Um, so it was it was amazing for me, and I'm sure it could do the same for others. Definitely. Yeah, fantastic. 
Um, so there's so much more I want to ask. You've done so much in your life. I feel like this podcast episode is too short to cover it all, but I do want to shift gears um, a little bit uh, and just ask you some more general fun questions. Um, so what advice would you give someone just coming into MIT? So maybe the folks that are going to be accepted around Pi Day, um, what's the advice to them? So my advice is don't get so hung up on what your degree actually says. Uh, go more for the experiences, the discussions, the learning in classes, but also in your extracurriculars. Get to know the people around you because they are incredible and you'll never meet anyone like them ever again. <laughs> I mean, I hope you do, but uh, just that <laughs> collection of so many brilliant and thoughtful it's just so rare that you find that many people uh, with an interest in uh, changing the world and, and solving all the problems in the world, even if that's such a difficult task, uh, task to accomplish uh, in one place. So uh, really absorb that, um, make the most of that, uh, be inspired by that. And Hopefully, wherever you end up after MIT, you'll make a difference yourself. And my very last question, what's the thing you miss the most about MIT? <sighs> I think the thing I miss the most about MIT is living in Boston, just being in such close proximity to amazing people, uh, to I miss the the amazing professors who put their all into everything uh, they teach. I miss the clubs I was a part of and how they made me feel like I could achieve anything, even though I was just a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old, And but it felt like the sky was the limit. I just miss being in such a supportive and inspiring atmosphere 24 hours a day for five years straight. That's just hits the spot, I think. I think you got me here too. Then um, it was an absolute pleasure to have this chat with you. I wish we had more time, but that's the end of our episode. I just want to remind everybody that uh, the lesson I learned personally, that sustainability transcends what we define it. So when you do things, think about how you can keep them going, how you can make the impact lasting. I think that's what I learned from Dana today um, and that she's incredibly amazing. And I am so glad that I know her. But thanks for listening, everybody, and that's a wrap.